Welcome back to another episode of Cinematic Reviews. For the next three episodes, I'll be giving my thoughts on all eight live-action Spider-Man movies, including Spider-Man No Way Home, which has been confirmed to drop on digital stores March 1st. Today, I'll be kicking off this miniseries with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, the OG Spider-Man, as some fans refer to him as. I'll give my thoughts on each of these three movies, and then at the end, I'll give my ranking of the trilogy. You can find my Spider-Man rankings and all the others I've done on the other box under Cinematic Reviews. Before I do that, let's talk about some facts about this beloved trilogy. Sam Raimi directed all three movies in this trilogy. He was slated to return for a fourth film that would have been released in May 2011. However, due to creative differences between Raimi and Sony, the film was canceled, and Andrew Garfield was casted to reboot the Spider-Man franchise. Spider-Man 4 would have seen Tobey's Spider-Man Battle of the Vulture, played by John Malkovich. Malkovich would have portrayed a more menacing Vulture and not just an old man in a suit. After seeing Keaton play a terrific version of the Vulture, it's hard to see anyone else in that role, even the great Malkovich. It would have also included Anne Hathaway playing Black Cat and Bruce Campbell being revealed as Mysterio for a future installment. The Vulture was actually considered for Spider-Man 3 instead of Venom. Sam Raimi then decided that Sandman should be the only villain in order to continue the trend set by the first two installments. Sony put their foot down and shoehorned Venom in at the last second. The box office for Raimi's trilogy is really impressive. Spider-Man grossed $821 million back in 2002. Spider-Man 2 with $794 million in 2004. And Spider-Man 3 in 2007 with the most at over $894 million, despite its backlash. After being injured on the set of Seabiscuit, Toby was to be replaced by Jake Gyllenhaal in Spider-Man 2. However, Toby ended up recovering and six months later began filming the sequel. As we now know, Gyllenhaal went on to play Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. Out of respect, all the promotional posters and teaser trailers for the first Spider-Man movie, with the World Trade Center being shown, were pulled after 9-11. So with that, let's jump into Toby's Spider-Man trilogy. I remember seeing Spider-Man in theaters back in 2002 like it was yesterday. I was living in Germany at the time, and I was really excited after seeing the first image of Toby in the suit. My whole family went to see it opening weekend. There were so many people that the theater had to set up folding chairs along the walls in order to fit as many people as possible at each showing. It didn't matter though because they ran out of the chairs and my dad had to stand the whole two hours. The exposure I had to Spider-Man was the 1990s cartoon and the few comic books I had read. The first Spider-Man movie made me the giant Spider-Man fan I am today. After seeing it for the first time, I was hooked. I grabbed every Spidey comic I could get my hands on. After re-watching Spider-Man dozens of times over the past 20 years, I still really enjoy Toby as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. As Peter, he's nerdy and awkward, and as Spider-Man, he's confident and charismatic. The suit is very iconic, and I love it. The reason he is my, my third favorite Spider-Man, though, is because Toby, in my eyes, was too old for the role at the time. To me, Peter is very young-looking and more kid-like. It would have worked better if Raimi introduced us to an older Peter Parker and used flashbacks to tell his origin story with a young actor. Even with all the flaws, Toby's Spider-Man is still very iconic and nostalgic, especially the scenes where his suit is torn up. He and the movies themselves aren't without their flaws, though. Crying Toby is a bit cringy now. Those scenes would have definitely benefited from a couple more takes, especially the Uncle Ben death scene. It's one of the most iconic moments in Spider-Man's story, so I wish they would have taken some extra time to do it justice. Some of the CGI is definitely a victim of its time, but I think it still holds up for the most part. The obvious mannequin Spider-Man swinging Mary Jane is still really cringy. There are dozens of other ways they could have done that shot, like a stunt double, for instance, or even just some CGI. The biggest issue I have with the first Spider-Man movie is the goblin suit, particularly Raimi's choice with the mouthpiece. In some scenes you can see Defoe's mouth and in others it's just a black space. I personally prefer it being just a black space, but honestly, just pick one or the other, not both. 
Now on the topic of Willem Dafoe, I think he killed it as Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin. I really enjoyed the crazy, violent take he did on the character, from the split personality to the voice to the different pumpkin bombs he used throughout the film. He was merciless and terrorized New York like Green Goblin would. I'm not a huge fan of the suit, but it's definitely a Sam Raimi suit like the Spider-Man one. It fits in the weird universe he created. In first drafts and test footage, the mask was originally going to be more Gauntlet-like and animatronic. Sony decided it would be too terrifying for the younger audience, so they went with a more metallic-looking helmet instead. Like Keaton as Vulture, it's hard seeing anyone else play this role instead of Defoe. He helps the movie stand up against all the other early 2000s superhero films. The relationship between Peter and Mary Jane is definitely the weakest out of all these three movies. Toby and Kirsten have very little chemistry together both on and off the screen. The audience is told that these two characters are supposed to be together instead of just showing us. There are no emotional ties with the relationship for the audience like they did with Garfield and Emma Stone. However, visually, Dunce looks very comic accurate to the Mary Jane in, in, the, in those comics. The red hair and the outfits were very pleasing to the audience, especially the Spider-Man fans finally seeing her on the big screen. Now with James Franco's Harry Osborn, this wasn't his best role. The lines they gave him didn't make sense half the time, and the direction they went with the character was very unlikable. James Franco is a fun actor to watch, but this was definitely not the role for him. The whole idea of Harry dating Mary Jane, knowing that Peter is in love with her, was just really bad writing. If you know your boy's in love with a girl, don't immediately start dating her. Throughout the trilogy, we'll see his character become even more ridiculous and likable, especially in Spider-Man 3. Overall, the first Spider-Man movie is very fun to watch and is one of the most iconic superhero movies in history. The opening credits scene and the score is very nostalgic. J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is easily one of the best casting choices ever. No one was more born for to play a role than him. I am very lucky to have grown with all these three Spider-Man actors, starting with Toby when I was eight years old. Spider-Man 2 has been called one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. Some fans have even put it up against Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Although Spider-Man 2 is a really fun superhero movie, that argument doesn't hold up. The Dark Knight is in a different category of its own, but that discussion is for another time. Spider-Man 2 is by far the best movie out of this trilogy, but it does not hold up as much as fans say it does. The CGI is still a victim of its time. The Mary Jane character is still poorly written, as well as the relationship between her and Peter. James Franco's Harry Osborn is still not a compelling character, and Toby's Spider-Man is still my least favorite of the three. Now that I got the negatives out of the way, I can go into talking about what I love with this movie. Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus is the best villain of the trilogy, and probably one of the best on screen in, in general. He's a very compelling character who lost everything while trying to finish his life's work. He lost his wife, Rosie, in an attempt to give the world an infinite amount of energy with the power of the sun. It's heartbreaking to see him go from savior of the world to one of its most violent criminals. The surgery room scene does a great way of showing how powerful and scary the mechanical arms can be. That was such a horrific scene to watch, especially for young viewers. This isn't surprising due to Sam Raimi's horror background with films like Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Molina is one of the main reasons that this movie is a top Spider-Man film. The action scenes are also the best of the trilogy. From the bank, to the runaway train, to the final fight at the warehouse. The bank fight has one of my favorite shots. It's when Doc Ock has Spider-Man raised up and two of his arms are slowly crushing his head in. As a kid, it's terrifying seeing your favorite superhero in trouble, especially like that. The whole train scene is one of the best scenes in not only this trilogy, but in the whole Spider-Man franchise. With Toby crawling around the train and at one point sliding on a car door, this fight is perfectly choreographed from start to finish. 
The warehouse scene gives us the iconic ripped Spider-Man suit from all the blows he took. We also get a heartfelt moment between Peter and Otto that makes these characters even more compelling, especially the Otto character. This is definitely the best Peter slash Spider-Man of the trilogy. The audience begins to understand the struggles of balancing the two lives. When he loses his powers, I was kind of happy for him. He was able to get his life together and move on. But as Face will have it, his destiny is not to just be Peter Parker, but Spider-Man as well. The world needs both, and the struggles will make him stronger in the end. J.K. Simmons returns in his iconic role of J. Jonah Jameson, and he does not disappoint. Every scene he is in is gold. He's definitely the standout character in this whole trilogy. The way he tears down Spider-Man, then cherishes him when he's gone, then goes right back to throwing him under the bus is perfect. I wish they would have included the deleted scene of Jameson wearing the Spidey suit in the final cut. It would have made the movie even more exciting to watch. Overall, Spider-Man 2 is the best of the Raimi trilogy, and will go down in history as one of the most iconic superhero movies. I always enjoy watching this film, and I can't wait to watch it again. It may seem like I'm really hard on Toby when I say he's my third favorite Spider-Man, but that's because Garfield and Holland, Holland brought something special to the role. I don't think to Toby had the opportunity to explore. He definitely would have benefited from a fourth and fifth movie. This movie is by far one of the worst superhero movies in history. It's a clear example of why studios need to back off and put more faith in the director's vision. Raimi gave fans two decent Spider-Man movies. There is no excuse for why Sony needed to come in and shoehorn a bunch of stuff. Venom should not have been in this movie. Raimi's original vision was for Sandman to be the only villain like the two previous films. I don't blame Raimi for leaving the franchise. It is 100% on Sony for being stupid and reckless with the franchise. Venom should have been saved for Spider-Man 5. And because Sony was so hell-bent on putting Venom into Spider-Man 3, we got the famous Bully McGuire. This is by far the worst adaption of Peter Parker also in the whole Spider-Man franchise. Raimi did his best to make sense of the effects of the symbiote, but it just didn't work. It was too ridiculous and silly. The dancing, the attitude, the hair didn't belong in this movie or franchise. Every time I watch this movie, I get more disappointed rather than angry. This could have been the best Spider-Man movie, and we would have gotten a fourth and fifth movie with Toby. Topher Grace was an awful choice for Eddie Brock and Venom. It was a terrible written and acted character. The frosted tips were so stupid and not necessary. Just make them blind or cast a blonde actor if you're going for comic accuracy. Even when he gets a symbiote from Peter, he is somehow worse of a character. He shouldn't have been in this movie, and it shows. The Harry Osborn character was also the worst adaption as well. The writers went the lazy route and gave him fucking amnesia for the half the movie. Not only that, but amnesia Harry was ridiculous and silly. The fight scene between him and Peter at the beginning was actually really cool, but knowing what happens just ruins it. The updated glider in the suit looked really cool, and I would have loved more of that conflict throughout the film. I honestly felt nothing when Venom killed Harry at the end. He was a character that I didn't care for, and this movie made it that hate even bigger. Even with him dying by his glider, like his father, didn't do it for me. Mary Jane took a back seat because of a character that shouldn't have been in it. Gwen Stacy was a terrible choice to include in this movie. Her sole purpose was to be a wrench in Peter and MJ's relationship, but it just doesn't work. This circles back to my thoughts about the Peter character in this film. Peter is so stupid and inconsiderate way before he even gets the symbiote on him. This whole side plot of juggling two women was unnecessary and pointless. We should have gotten more scenes between Peter and MJ working things out between themselves, not introducing an outside character to cause a rift. The only way for the symbiote angle to work, they should have written Peter and MJ working things out and happy at the beginning of the film movie. Then once his emotions start to be affected by the symbiote, how the rift occur between them. Harry and Gwen should not have been involved in their relationship at all. It should have been just Peter and MJ working it out throughout the film until they reconcile at the final battle. 
Even though I'm really disappointed in this movie, there's some stuff I actually liked about it. J.K. Simmons still kills it as J. Jonah Jameson. He doesn't have many scenes in this one, but it also but it always is a joy to see him as a character. The black suit for Spider-Man was actually a pretty cool design. It fits into the universe, and I enjoy seeing it every time I watch it. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is surprisingly an Andy Brock scene. Visually, him getting the symbiote on him was awesome. I love the horror vibes it gave off, and the look of Venom taking over Topher's body was great to see. The design of Venom was also not terrible. I actually enjoyed it when it was just Venom running around causing chaos, not Topher coming out to talk shit to Peter. Thomas Hayden Church did a great job as Sandman. If they would have left him as a sole villain, it would have definitely made Spider-Man 3 one of the better superhero movies. His relationship with his daughter made him very compelling, just like the Doc Ock character in Spider-Man 2. Overall, this is both a terrible Spider-Man movie and a terrible movie in general. There are very, very little redeeming qualities in this film, and it won't be surprising where it lands on my rankings. So here are my rankings for the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. At number one, Spider-Man 2. Number two, Spider-Man. And no surprise, the number three, Spider-Man 3. Again, you can find the rest of my Spider-Man rankings and all the rankings I have done on Letterboxd under Cinematic Reviews. Join me next time as I give my thoughts on Andrew Garfield and the two amazing Spider-Man films. Also join me every week for new release Mondays. This coming Monday, I'll be giving my thoughts on the Uncharted movie, starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg.